The Holy Gospel according to John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. When I was young, I tried so hard to be in, to be liked, to not be the last one picked for a soccer game at recess, right? I tried hard to do well in school, to be good at dance and at singing. In junior high and high school, I faced the same problems that a lot of kids do, constantly feeling that I would never fit in, sits on my face, my hair rarely having a good day, and braces through eighth grade to boot. When I was in junior high, the IT brands were Pepe, Guess, and Z Cavarici. Everybody wanted them. All the cool kids had them. But my single mom, who taught kindergarten to provide for us, had absolutely no extra income for such frivolities. And so most of the time, I found myself wearing off-brands until one day, I found a pair of Z Cavarici jeans on the clearance rack on an extra 40% off clearance tag prices day. Let me tell you, that was indeed a glorious day because I had enough of my own money sitting in my pocket from babysitting to buy them, and so I did. But like many items that end up on the clearance rack, these jeans were there for some particular reasons, right? They weren't the right color wash. And they had some odd decoration on them, these pink shoelaces that ran up and down the sides of the jeans, right? 80s fashion, right? (laughs) But I figured that they were still Cavaricis, and so I began envisioning my status in junior high changing overnight when I would wear them to school. But change, it did not. No, instead of impressing all those cool kids and gaining their favor, my purchase only led to further jokes at my expense. They made fun of the color. They laughed at the pink shoelaces down the side. And worst of all, I knew I looked ridiculous in them, right? Because Z Cavaricis, for those of you who don't know, were high-waisted jeans. This is my waist, people. So with these jeans on, I ended up looking like a gangly version of Humpty Dumpty, right? (laughs) It wasn't a good look for me. So I don't know what the it thing was when you were in junior high and high school. What was the it thing in the 70s? What were some of the it things then? Yeah. 
Oh, that's way cooler. Why didn't I grow up then, right? <laughs> what were some other things from the 70s? Bell bottoms, yeah. What about the 80s? I talked about Cavaricis. What else in the 80s? Candies. What else? Hammer pants. Yes, hammer pants. Yell it out loud so we can all hear. <laughs> what about the 90s? What was cool in the 90s? Bell bottoms again? <laughs> I wore flannels and Dr. Martens in the 90s, right? I had electric blue Dr. Martens. Yeah. What? Cross? I don't even know what that is, and my husband said it. <laughs> Denim. What about the 2000s? What was cool in the 2000s? Ugg boots. Juicy couture tracksuits. Remember, like, you had to have juicy couture tracksuits? What about the 2010s? I need my young people for this one. I was trying to guess what's cool. Yeah. What is it? AirPods. See, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> oh, to stick in your, in your earphones. Yes. Yes, and then I was thinking, is it a thing to wear your shirts over your shorts? Because I see the kids do this all the time. Yes, Mikey's giving me a nod. And high, are high white socks cool again? Yeah? Two different socks. Wow, two different socks. <laughs> well, y'all get the idea, right? I don't know how we fared with these trends over the years, whether we wore them well or not so well. But here's the good news, friends. The church, where we're sitting right now, is supposed to be the one place where you don't have to try to be in, right? You simply are in already. Every other place in life, we find ourselves in systems of evaluation, don't we? No matter how hard we try to be gracious with one another and ourselves, most experiences in this world come with some kind of evaluation. Think about it. Teach to the test, the test, the test, right? Worse today than when I was in school, and we pray for our teachers because of this. But I still will never forget sitting on my little Apple IIe computer, taking question after question from my ACT floppy disk. Ephemeral, querulous, sagacity. And work, too, it's all about performance, performance, performance. Get the numbers up, make sure the presentation is a hit, and show your pro productivity. Even in friendships and family, we think to ourselves, have I done enough, said thank you, returned the favor, shown that I care. So coming here, coming here to this place of worship, it's the weekly reminder that we don't have to have all of this together. That's indeed the whole point of church. We are to confess our shortcomings, not celebrate our strengths. We are to admit that it's tough to hold it all together, not pretend that this balancing act called life is oh so easy. We are to embrace the grace the grace that guides and sustains and reminds us that we are not alone. We are never alone. Church shouldn't be about us coming to God with the perfect presentation. It should be about God coming to us, coming to say, you're already in. 
You're loved, you're held, you're forgiven, you're redeemed. Unfortunately, the church has all too often become a place where that is not the case. Church has become a place where one can feel that they have to dress a certain way. And that's a critique we get here at Christ Lutheran. And I'm probably first to blame. You see, my children today are dressed up immensely. Church has become a place where maybe it feels you have to have a certain income or project a certain status or have a family type that looks a certain way. We've taken the church and we've made it a place of insiders. And at times, our churches, which are supposed to be places of grace, forgiveness, and love, end up looking a whole lot more like that fifth grade soccer game lineup at recess. Outside the church, we may find more welcome than we do inside of it. We may find those who are willing and ready to receive us. Outside the church, we may find less pietism and more grace. We may find a group of misfits just like us, those that have failed epically at fashion, those who refuse to go with the flow, and those who question any law that isn't based first and foremost in love. What if we could turn the church inside out, reminding people of what the original purpose of us gathering to worship this God was in the first place? Because on this Trinity Sunday, it's important to remember that the Trinity is indeed all about this. God is all about this. The Trinity reveals that in true, real, full love, there are no outsiders. There is only one. There is no one who can be more and no one who can be less. The Trinity reveals what the holiest of communities looks like. No hierarchy, only mutual love and understanding. This mystery of the Trinity, this high holy day that we celebrate even less than Pentecost. Reverend Swenson pointed out last Sunday that you likely don't have Pentecost turkeys And I'm guessing even fewer of us have Holy Trinity roasts at home in the oven right now. At least many of you wore red for Pentecost Sunday last Sunday. How many of you are wearing your Holy Trinity white today? Some of you are in white. Did you wear it for Holy Trinity? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) This concept of the Trinity that we have trouble celebrating, that we overlook, that we forget about, this divine mystery, this inaccessible deity. It's true that there's a lot that we don't know, but at the same time, certain things have been clearly revealed to us. God the Father grieves the hardships of the Son. The Holy Spirit comes to care for the disciples when Jesus can no longer be with them and agonizes over having to say goodbye. The Trinity experiences one another's joys, and the Trinity experiences one another's losses. And through the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that that's what God wants to invite us into. Jesus says over and over again that he abides in the Father, and we abide in him, that we are grafted into the vine by the vine grower. And today Jesus says, all that is mine is the Father's, and I give it all over to you. We become part 
of that glorious three-in-one being through God's work and Jesus' work and the Holy Spirit's work, we are invited to be part of the Trinity. And there we learn what it means to be divinely one. The Trinity allows us to be all in, but it also means that we learn from that too. Because being all in means going all places with people, going through the highs and the lows, going through the ins and the outs, understanding the world from their perspective, learning teamwork at a whole new level, existing as many, while at the same time we are miraculously one. So how does it happen? That is it covered constant bad hair day, braces wearing an ill-fitting Z Cavaricci jean wearer, such as myself, get in. Grace. God's grace. God's love. A magnificent love that has never once allowed me to feel like an outsider, no matter what the church proclaimed but a love that always beckoned me to know my place as an insider, as a daughter, as a disciple. Because as tragic as my Z Cavaricci story may have been on that fateful day in eighth grade, the truth is that it's a pretty mild example of my being made to feel like an outsider. Many of you know that I grew up part of the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. And I'll never forget when my youth pastor in high school, my most important mentor in my life, called me an apostate for wanting to become a pastor. An apostate is sort of an intense version of a heretic. This same youth pastor that had encouraged me to study theology, who had encouraged me to read C.S. Lewis and Dante, who had encouraged me to grow in my understanding of the liturgy and of scripture and to go away to a good Lutheran school, this same youth pastor condemned me to hell for my call to be a pastor based on 1 Timothy chapter 2, which reads, I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. This year, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which our church, Christ Lutheran, is part of, celebrates 49 years of ordaining women. 49 Years, all the way back to 1970. Yeah, let's do a round of applause. Absolutely. I am grateful for 49 years worth of talented and passionate female Lutheran pastors proclaiming the gospel as they were inspired, called, and equipped to do by the Holy Spirit. And I am grateful that 49 years ago, in 1970, our Lutheran Church determined that the interpretation of Scripture was far too complicated to be summed up in a literal interpretation of each and every passage. 
And I am grateful that 49 years ago, our church bravely stepped forward into a new era of welcoming all God's daughters to preach and to teach and to prophesy. We women were grafted into the church leadership just as all of us, all of us have been grafted into God's family in our baptisms. When we were named sons and daughters by God's grace. What a glorious thing to celebrate, 49 years. And it's from this place of celebration, dear friends, that I can walk into this church each Sunday and see the glory of the grace that surrounds us, the beauty of a love that I could never possibly earn, the gift of grace that it is to be a child of God. And from this place of celebration, I can realize that even if the church at times feels exclusive, God's love never does. Amen.